This morning, as we continue our series in Galatians, talking about the grace of God and how gracious God has been to us, the amazing grace that he has blessed us with, the chance to serve him, the chance to move beyond our past, move beyond what we see and what we deem as our weaknesses into where God wants us to be, right? He has a plan for each and every one of us, and he has designed us and orchestrated events in our lives sometimes so that we can fall on our knees before him, so that we can learn to trust in him, so that he places us right where he wants us. When we think we've got it all together, we think we are the orchestrators, orchestrators, conductors, directors of our own lives. We realize that so many times God is moving in our lives, relationships, jobs, vehicles, church bodies, people falling out of windows, things that can happen that direct us further down the path, down the road where God wants us to be. We think we've got it all together. That Paul was this way, and we're going to read kind of a biographical sketch of Paul's life as he's writing this letter to the Galatians. And we've, he's kind of setting the stage here for setting up his authority for writing this letter to the Galatians, even though he started the church. There are those who have been opposing him. And so as we're reading this morning in, the, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 16 or 13 to 13 and following, He's going to kind of set the stage and say, this is where I was. This is where God rescued me from. And this is where I am now. And we're going to look at these three areas and say, what is it about Paul's biographical sketch? And what does that mean for us? How does that apply to us? I mean, this is nice knowing what Paul's background was. This is nice knowing where his training was. It's nice knowing all these details. But how does that apply to me in 2019? When I'm struggling with life, when I've got issues, and not knowing direction for my life, how does knowing all this about Paul really impact me? How does knowing that Eutychus fell out of a window really impact me? Those are questions that we ask, and all of us have asked. If you've not been there, I, I've been there. I'm there almost every week. It's like, okay, God, I'm reading this passage in my personal quiet time. Okay, that's nice for them, but how does that apply to me today in my situation with my struggles and my fears and my frustrations? How does knowing this about these guys apply to me? And that's, we're all kind of there, aren't we? We want to know that God's word is applicable to us today. It was great back in the first century, but we're almost 2,100 years later. How does that apply to us? So let's take a look at here Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. As we look at Paul is the persecutor of the church. It says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's talking about his past, where God has brought him from. How he was extremely zealous. He was unconverted in his Jewish faith. You think, well, he was a rabbi. 
He was studying in the temple. He was going to rabbi school. He was teaching others. He was super zealous. How could you say he was unconverted? Paul admits that. That he was not where he needed to be. If you read through Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26 on your own, you'll see, and Paul tells his story, how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that he was not where he needed to be. He may have been faithful in the temple. He may have been doing all the the right things and following the law, but he was not a converted person. He was lost, not where where he needed to be. He was persecuting the church. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen, supporting the work that they were doing and killing somebody. Bent on destroying the church, he vowed the church as an evil entity that was violating the law. This Saul of Tarsus consented to Stephen's murder, wreaked havoc in the church, separating families. He made it his personal job to make life miserable for followers of the church, for followers of Jesus. His personal religious life, his scholarship, his zeal in opposing the alien religious faith, all combined to make him one of the most respected of the Jewish rabbis at that time. He said, whoa, we want to be like Paul. He's one you need to aspire to be to, right? And yet, we know something happened. We know something happened to Paul to change him from the direction he was going to where he was now zealous for his faith in Christ. Prior to meeting Jesus, he was all about destroying the church. Prior to meeting Jesus, he was all about living life his own way. Prior to meeting Jesus, he was all about Saul. He was all about patting his own back. He was all about lining his own pockets. He was all about doing everything he could do to shut down the church of Jesus Christ. Then we know he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He becomes the apostle, the preacher of the gospel. And not through a gradual change, but through a radical, transformed change. Immediate. A lot of us, when we get, you get saved, and it's like, well, I'm just going to slowly grow into my faith. Right? Oh, I've, I, I've got all these issues in my life, and I'm going to, I want to slowly take care of them over the next 50 years. Paul was not that way. You see the life of Paul, he radically changed. When God got a hold of his heart, he changed drastically. There was no slow change. When he became aware, when he, his, his eyes were opened from being blind after three days, he knew that Jesus was alive and the one that he'd been persecuting had called him into a different ministry. He was radically transformed by grace. Verse 15 says, But when then he who set me apart before I was born, he called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Look at Paul's life. He went from this zealous 
rabbi persecuting the church. Now he was being radically transformed so that he understood that it was God who called him. He understood that God had used his grace to separate him out from his other brethren. That's some of the things that God did for him. Number one, God is, understand this, God who did the work in Paul. Paul didn't lift himself up by his own bootstraps. Paul didn't put his own suspenders on and say, okay, I'm just going to get down the road and go do it. He understood that it was God who did the work in him. Look what he says here. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born was pleased to reveal his son in me. It was God who set him apart. When? Before he was ever born. The sovereign God of the universe had set Paul apart. How could that happen? Paul wasn't converted as an infant. No. Paul wasn't converted as a teenager. No, he wasn't. Paul wasn't even converted as a young man. No, he wasn't. But God had a plan for his life. God knew what was going to happen in his life, and he set him on a path so that when the time was right, his heart would be ripe and ready to receive Christ. You ever lamented the fact sometimes that you didn't get saved earlier in life? I know there's many in here who gone through had very rough lives growing up. Maybe drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever. You've had a really hard time. And I don't applaud the hard times. I know you don't applaud those hard times, but sometimes you think that God maybe used those events in your life to draw you into his presence? Because we were so stubborn and wanted to do things our own way that he used these allowed us to go through this so that when the time was right, when our hearts were ripe, we were ready to receive him. We were ready to step out and say, God, I trust you. I don't wish a hard life on anybody. None of us do in this room. If we talk to anybody, like I'm going to use Rich for example, I know Rich has had a hard life growing up and he would never wish anybody to go through what he had to go through to find Jesus. He would tell anybody, as a child, as a seven-year-old, as a three-year-old, as a teenager, find Christ now. But praise God you found him when you did. See, Paul was that way. He understood that it was God working in his life. He always emphasized all through his books that it is God who draws us into salvation. Jonah 2.9 says that salvation belongs to man. Salvation belongs to the dog. Salvation doesn't belong to the cats. We know that. There's an amen for there somewhere. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is him who works in us and through us to do Good works that he has prepared for us ahead of time. Not things that we have in our plans. God's working in us. Number two, he does it by his grace. He sees us where we are. He sees us in our sin. He sees us in our failures. And he steps out. He says, I draw you to myself. His riches are given to us at Christ's expense because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we can have that relationship with him again. He says there in verse 15, 16, he says, who called me by his grace. 
See, salvation is by God's grace, not man's efforts and not man's character. You can have the greatest character in the world. You can be the greatest human who ever lived. The Dalai Lama would walk into this room and he'd say, oh, he's just a good man. You can have the greatest integrity, never cheat on your taxes, never drive over the speed limit, always do everything exactly right in this world and still miss the mark. Because it's not about us. It's about what God has done in us. We are the called. We are the chosen by His grace. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because of our gospel, has come to you not in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We are called by God. Now, how does God's sovereignty in orchestrating the events of this world in our lives match up with our responsibility to choose him? Is it one or the other? We talked about this a little bit last week, about that idea of Calvinism versus Arminian. Is it predestination? Is it all man's choice? Yes. How that fits together in life is beyond this little pea brain in my head. There are theologians fighting this every single day, left and right, who haven't truly figured out how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility fits together. Is it one or the other? No, it is both and or. It is both and and. See, God set apart, set Paul on the path, but until Paul submitted himself and said, God, I choose you, there was no conversion. How that works together, I don't know. I, I don't know. Can I say that as your pastor? I don't know. Is it okay? There are things about God's word and about God's character that I fully do not understand yet. And I won't understand until I meet him face to face, some of those things. And some of those things, it'll be 100,000 years down the road, and I'll still be discovering new things about him. That's the awesome thing about God, is we can, we can live with him for all of eternity, and we're still going to be learning new things about him, his character, and the person of God. It's like going to Sunday school every week in heaven. <laughs> so Ken, get ready. You've got you to teach. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to f- fulfill his promise, as some count slow in slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach, reach, reach repentance. Right? That's, that's man's responsibility. He wants all, of it, all mankind to come to faith in him. His desire is for all of the world to choose him by faith. But yet, Ephesians 1, 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's God setting things up. It's not man. See, God did it through Christ. Verse 16a says, He was pleased to reveal his Son in to me. Through Christ, Paul was redeemed. Through Christ, Paul was changed. In Philippians chapter 3, he details all these things that he couldn't, he could boast about himself prior to fire, prior to Jesus, but his religion, his self-righteousness, his reputation, his social status, nobody calls all those things. Rubbish. Poop. Is that okay to say in church? Paul said it. He said, I count all those things as rubbish. They are trash. They are nasty filth in God's eyes. They count as nothing. 
all the goodness, all the good works, all those things we try to do to justify ourselves before God are squat. They're nothing. When he saw the resurrected Christ on the Damascus Road, all those things that he saw as so vitally important, they fell away like the scales on his eyes. He all of a sudden saw himself as God sees him. The righteousness, the self-righteousness, the murderer, the persecutor, that zealousness to justify himself and to lift himself up. He saw himself as God saw him. And it caused him to fall to his knees. In fact, Philippians 3, 7, he says, but all what things were gained to me, those things I counted as loss for Christ. No matter how he lived his life, no matter how we live our lives today, they are lost compared to the magnificent, glorious Christ that we serve. God does it for the sake of others. Why did God set us, set Paul aside? Why does God save us? Yes, it's so that we might know him and to understand him and have his relationship with him, but he also desires to use us to reach others. Look at this in the first part of 16. Paul says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God saved me, he says, because he has a plan for me to preach to the Gentiles. To take the gospel to the world who did not know him. To take the gospel to a world that was dying and without him. We have a job. God didn't just save you for the sake of another point on his tally marker. Yes, he saves us so we might know us and have a relationship with us, but he also saves us for a purpose. A few weeks ago, we finished up our series on pursuing the mission of God and how God's desire for us is to reach out into our community. How his, his desire for us is to Take the, our address in our neighborhood, the address of our church, the address where your workplace is, that little cubicle that you hate going to from 9 to 5. And you're going, who works 9 to 5 anymore? Okay, from 8 to 10 p.m. There's not an accident that you are there. There's not an accident that we are here. See, God's care for the world was thought out way ahead of time. And he chose Paul to be a part of that plan. God's care for those in your neighborhood, around your house, was thought out way ahead of time, so he planted you in that neighborhood. God's care for the people in this neighborhood was thought out way long, way before we ever bought this building and this property and remodeled this place and moved in here. Way before. Because he loves these people around us much more than we do. God chose Paul not just to save him, but to use him to win others. What if God saved you, not just so he could add another soul to his books, but so that you might be a part of winning others, to bringing others to him as well? What if, like Paul, God separated you out from the world so that you might be his witness in Judea, 
and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the world. What if we weren't made and designed just to go through life, just to live life, just to work for 50 years and collect Social Security and die? What if we have a greater purpose in life? So I think we do. I think we do. Because see, God is not finished with any of us, and we're all drawing closer to Him. We're all becoming closer to Him in our relationship, hopefully, as we spend time in His Word, as we spend time in fellowship, as we spend time together and prayer together and Bible study together and doing things together. We're drawing closer to Him, getting to know Him better. What if all of that has a purpose and a plan? So we might be used by Him to reach your pharmacist neighbor, to reach that Teamster Union member, to reach somebody across the street who's very different from you, culturally, socially, economically, racially? Are we willing to set aside our selves? Because for Paul, Paul was a Jew. Yes, he had grown up part of his life in the Roman world, but he was a Jew at heart, and he hated the Romans like most of the other Jews did. And yet God was going to use him to reach those that he hated. But why did God do all this? Verse 24 says this, And they glorified God because of me. Why did God set Paul aside? Why did God save us? Why did God plant us here as a church? Why, 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 why? What's the purpose? Because God wanted to glorify himself. To bring glory to himself. See, man, whether you notice or not, man was created to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, Everyone who is called by name, my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So you were created by God to bring him glory. You were created by God to bring him glory. You were created by God to bring Him glory. Get that in your minds when you come to understand that we were not just created and born here in this world just to live through life, but we have a purpose to bring glory to God. That sets everything in, in motion. It sets everything in priority. We were saved for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you and from whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You were saved and set apart from that sinful life so that you could glorify God to bring Him glory. How simple is that? We have one job. One job to glorify God. One job to glorify God. One job to glorify God. Paul understood that. See, before, as Paul was obsessed as a Jewish rabbi, zealous for his old faith, the Judaizers came to Galatia and to the churches there, and they were obsessed with making sure that it was Jesus plus 
Paul is now obsessed, after meeting the Savior on the road to Damascus, he's now obsessed with bringing glory to God. It's no longer about his own glory. It's about bringing glory to God. Are we about our glory or God's? Do we do what we do to get a pat on the back? Or do we do what we do so that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Are we about God's glory in the workplace? Are we about God's glory at, at home with our children and our spouses and our grandparents and grandkids? Are we about God's glory at play when we go to the games or when we're outside or going hunting or whatever else? Are we about bringing God's glory there? Are we about God's glory at our rest times? Are we about God's glory in our ministries that he has placed us in? See, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, it's to be done to bring glory and honor to God. As you go to lunch today, as you go to lunch and you go on this afternoon, and you're living your life, ask yourself, God, how can I glorify you in this place, at this time? How can I bring glory to you at this time? Maybe if you're at home, I say there's no Broncos game today, but if you're sitting at home and you're just relaxing, pick up your phone, text somebody and say, I'm praying for you today and pray for them. Glorify God. Love on your, if you're married, husbands, love on your spouse. Love on your wife and lift her up and encourage her and put your arm around her and let her know how special she is so that she feels the love of Christ through you. How hard is that? For some people, it's hard. We learn that Paul is a persecutor. We see him as a transformed individual. But now we're going to look at him as he's radically changed. Verse 16. I'm following. Latter half of 16. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, then I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw no one other than the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith of the one that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. See, he was radically, radically changed. Most people at the time, and maybe even today, you're radically changed like that. You, you make this 180 switch. You go, you talk to the leadership of the group that you were just persecuting. You walk up and say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I, I, I shouldn't have been doing all those things. What can we do to make it right? How can I become a part of what's going on? I recognize that Jesus is now the, the Savior of the world, and I want to be a part of what he's doing. It says that he went to Arabia for three years. He went back to Damascus, to the city where he became a Christian. The, Jew, the Jewish leaders were still looking for him. In fact, if you read through Acts chapter 9 and 2 Corinthians 11, 
at the basket incident took place. And the, he was in there preaching in the synagogues and the Jewish leaders got so upset, they put him in a basket, lowered him over the walls to save his life. They said, get out, go, run away, run away. They were, the Jewish leaders were out to kill him. He then goes to Jerusalem, meets Peter. Apparently he gets kind of a lukewarm shoulder from the other church leaders because only James shows up to talk to him as well. He's there for two weeks. Everyone's cautious about him. They don't really know who this guy is. He goes back to Syria and Cilicia and then back to Tarsus in that area. What does he do? He takes the message of Christ with him there. He goes back to take to do what he knows. Just like when Jesus met the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well, just like Jesus who went across the sea of Galilee and cast the demons out of that demon-possessed man, he said, go and you tell. You go and you tell. You go and you tell. You go and you tell. They didn't have his deep theological training. They didn't know anything about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They didn't know anything about baptism. They didn't know anything about the living Christ. All they knew was God did a work in my life. And I need to tell others about what God has done in my life. And, and, and hopefully they'll get to have that same change in their lives as well. Paul did the same thing. He knew what God had done in his life. And he was simply went back to the area where he was from and told others about Jesus. He went back to the area where he was from. He began preaching. He began sharing. He began, as he lived his life, began taking the good news to those around Historians believe that he continued in this way in the Tarsus area for about another seven years until Barnabas comes and finds him, takes him up to Antioch, and they begin working in the church in Antioch, and it's there that the church became known as Christians for the very first time. As a derogatory term, Christian just means little Christ. And the, the Gentiles, the unbelievers at the time, was, are you little Christians? You little Christians, you think you're just like Christ. And instead of taking that as a, recepting as a derogatory term, they said, yes, that's right. We are little Christ. We are trying to live our life as Christ. We are trying to live our life in such a way so that God is glorified. And Paul stays busy. He stays busy because he knows what's at stake. It's not just living a good life. He knows that people's souls are at stake. Why do we support almost 30 missionary families around the world? Because souls are at stake around the world. In Australia, in New Zealand. This week in New Zealand with the mosque that got shot up, that's 40 some odd people who had, do not have a chance any longer to hear the truth. That's saddening. The chance is lost. Opportunity is gone. But there's missionaries there. There's other pastors there. There are believers in New Zealand who can go and share with that community now that maybe now have an opportunity to speak into lives they didn't have before. So God can take a very negative situation and turn it into his good. This missionary in Russia that we talked about a few weeks ago whose house burned down, all of his stuff was gone. Every scrap of everything he ever owned was gone, burned up in the fire. Maybe now he has a chance to go back and live Christ in such a way in his community that they say, well, why aren't you bitter? 
Vladimir, why, why, why aren't you frustrated with what's going on? Why, why, why aren't you just angry and bitter because the insurance company is not going to cover your stuff? Why aren't you angry and bitter because the house is burned down and all of your stuff is gone? And he has a chance now to live Christ before the community, before his neighbors in a different way. The first century Judaizers, as they came to Galatia and other churches there, they preached the gospel plus Moses. The gospel plus. Modern day Judaizers, today, it's still gospel plus. Gospel plus baptism. Gospel plus this. Gospel plus speaking in tongues. Gospel plus read this special book. Gospel plus go to this certain church. Gospel plus follow this certain leader. Gospel plus live a certain way. When God wants to free us from our standards. And it's just the gospel. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Paul had the answer for these modern day Judaizers. He said in Galatians 1.9, we read it last week, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that unto you that ye have received, except for the one you have received, let him be accursed. And we went through the gospel last week. What is it? It's Jesus coming in the incarnation. We celebrate every Christmas time. God in the flesh, being born in the flesh, living for 33 years, sinlessly living on this world, dying on the cross, a death that we, he did not deserve, a death that we deserved. Died on the cross for us so that we might have a relationship with him, taking away our sins, paying the price for us. And then in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter as we celebrate the resurrection from the dead. We celebrate this death that was such a horrible thing, but then three days later, he comes back to life of his own volition. Who else, who's ever done that? Nobody. He comes back to life, proving to once and for all that his sacrifice on the cross freed us from all of our sins. Warren Wearsby says this, When a sinner trusts Christ and is born again, he is born free. He has been redeemed, purchased by Christ, and set free. He is no longer in bondage to sin or Satan, nor should he be in bondage to human religious systems. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you are free indeed. The gospel is this, Christ plus nothing. Christ plus plus nothing. And in that, God wants to set us free. Free from the bondage that we put ourselves under. Free from the pressures we set on ourselves. Because God loves us. God loved Paul so much that he let him go through this horrible experience being blind for three days. Because he had a plan for Paul. God has a plan for each and every one of us as well. Your life experiences, they may have been horrible. They may be hard. You may be struggling right now with something. I don't know. Put your faith and trust and hope in God. And with his strength, help you pull through these things. Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. As we get ready to 